Good morning again, and uh, we will be in Romans chapter 3, verses 20 to 26. Paul, well, Josh finished up with what Paul had been writing about the law and, and how all of humanity is without excuse. And he starts in, in chapter 1, with verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, that is, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So he, he prefaces this with, with his allegiance to the gospel. This is, I'm not ashamed of this gospel of Christ, the power of God unto salvation. And then he gets to verse 18 and, and going on all the way through into chapter 3 with what, uh, what you, I guess you would call the bad news. And, and he lays out for us that man is, is incapable completely incapable of saving himself. That's the human predicament. That's the, the greatest predicament that faces mankind. We have all these problems, we think, but the, the reality is, is at the end of your life, are, do you belong to Christ or, or not? That's, that's really all it boils down to. So he says, for all, uh, all throughout, he says to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. So the Jew... Would have, would have been touting the, their, their knowledge of the law because they were experts in the law and they, they possessed this law and God, God revealed this law to them first and, and, then, and then also to the Greek who, who had this law written upon their hearts even though they denied it. Um, so the Jew was doubly accountable for to the Jew first. He said you had the law written on your hearts. You had the law physically written that was given to you that you can read. So the Jew was even more accountable so Romans 3, 20 to 26 summarizes the, the, this human predicament of sin and, and God's plan to deliver a people unto himself. So you got Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17, that, that is one bookend of this whole section. And you've got what Josh went through last week um, was the other bookend of it. And then you go into Romans, what we're going to look at today is... Is deliverance, this plan of salvation. And uh, as I was studying, I saw that some theologians said that this was the most essential section of text in the most essential book of the Bible. And I, I just thought, well, no pressure, right? Nope. No big deal. You just got to go through the important text, which all of it is important. But I was taken back as always. Um, it's like I tell you, people study the Bible like you were going to preach it. Um, you will be blessed in that. If you have to tell someone about this, study it like you have to tell everyone about this. And the words save or salvation are not really too common in the, in the book of, of Romans. This, this, the, the words deliverance or justified are, are more common. And those that are saved, those with salvation, are the just, the justified in the sight of God. And you have the seculars that, that tells you that, that humans are social creatures and that, and that morality is a, is a product of evolution and we just kind of all got to get along to get along. And 
this mutual understanding of whatever we, we deem to be right or wrong, and you've got language as the common denominator. That's why you have these cultures that have these different ideas of what's right and wrong, and that's why the, the foundation of what is right and wrong is the law of God. This, this is our standard for the believer. So in, the, in a secular worldview, the ultimate end to that would be somewhat of a, a, a pragmatic democracy when everybody gets together and they just decide, well, this is what's right and good, so that's what's going to stand, and this is what's right and good. It's, it's really no, no foundation for it other than I would prefer not my neighbor to steal from me or kill me, and I think almost everybody would agree that those things are not good for society. So you've got this odd offshoot of, of, of what's good. It's, it's, it's a dim reflection of, of the law of God, and, and it comes from that law of God that's written on the heart of every man. So they, they borrow, in a, in a sense, from the word of God to, to say what's right and good, even though they would deny the power of God and that it is his law. So it's, this product of evolution is like a survival tactic. We just got to we got to do X, Y, and Z because whatever. And he said, some things are good, obviously. They understand right and wrong to an extent. And the problem is that with this, this type of ideology is that the goalpost gets moved further and further down. Right? So, so you take, and the only one I could really think of is the, if you, if you look at the, the sexual revolution. So it started out, it's like, I want to express myself in this way, right? And then you got the homosexual revolution. And then you got the transgender movement. And then, I don't know if any, how many of you know this, but they're, they're, there's a pedophilia movement, right? They're, they're called MAPS, Minor Attracted Persons. That's the politically correct word. So this is the problem with, a, with this type of ideology. They want their rights. They're fighting for these rights. It's love. It's all love, right? And the next logical one is animals. So these, these secularists, they don't, they don't necessarily agree on how to solve the, the world's problems. They just think that they can do it without God. They, they, they think that they can accomplish this, the world's problems. R.C. Sproul said that when he learned that someone was an atheist, now this is interesting, that the next question that he said or he asked, he would say, um, what do you do with your guilt? What do you do with your guilt? And, and, you know, I, I would think if I was an atheist, I, was like, I don't have any guilt. I have no one to answer to. I'm my own entity. He said not one of them said I don't have any guilt. Like, it was usually I don't know or I've never, you know, but that's the law of God testifying to them. Like you're, you're accountable, right? That's the law of God account, holding them accountable even though they would deny it till their last breath. So, in essence, neither Jew nor Greek is, is, is without excuse. So, neither Jew or the secularist, the atheist, the agnostic, the, the Muslim, the you name it, no one is without excuse. All have fallen short. There is none righteous. Both possess the law, although in different ways, whether it's written on your heart, written in a book. So, today, we're going to try to unpack verses 20 to 26 in chapter 3. If you are able, I would ask that you please stand as we give honor to God's word. This is the word of the living God. Let us give attention.
Therefore, the deeds of the law, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over all the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. O merciful Father, as we approach your throne of grace this morning, as we break this bread of life, we just ask that you would nourish us. Lord, let us hear the word of the living God, apply it to our hearts, and again, let it be manifested in our lives, bringing glory and honor to you. In Christ's name we pray. All God's children said. So therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Paul, again, is reminding us that knowledge of the law does not and cannot make one righteous. The only, the only thing the law does is reveal our unrighteousness before a holy God. This is, this is the standard, and, and what this does is tell you where you have fallen short, which is all of it. Doing the work or deeds of the law is an impossibility. You can't in and of yourselves do it. In Paul in Galatians 3, 10 to 13, it tells us that the law brings a curse. You're accursed by this law. A sinful man has neither the inclination or the ability in and of himself at all to keep this law. Only those that are regenerated by the Holy Spirit are capable of even mirroring a little bit of, the, of keeping the law. Our desire, new desire is in the law in any of Often we fail miserably, right? A lot, of, a lot of struggle with that. So we have this new desire and we still, do the, the, we still don't do the things that please God. It's like Paul says, the things I, I know that I should do, I don't do. And the things I don't know I shouldn't do, I do. Our salvation is wholly dependent on Christ and his righteousness in us. It's his alone. For by the law is the knowledge of sin, so the law of God brings knowledge of, of our brokenness. The law only condemns. That's what he's been going through the last two chapters. It's interesting here, too, the, the word that Paul uses for knowledge is epignosis. It means precise and correct knowledge. Uh, it's a derivative of, of gnosis, which is just knowledge, right? So I... I I know Richard, but I don't know Richard like I know my wife. I would have a knowledge of Richard, but I have an epignosis of my wife. Full and complete knowledge is the idea. Absolutely no. You absolutely know the law, and you're without excuse. You can't say you didn't know part of it, but you know. Epignosis. Strong's also says that in the New Testament it's to descri- describe things ethical and divine, pure, 
this epignosis, this inescapable knowledge of our unrighteousness. He's, he goes on to say, but now the righteousness of God is revealed. Paul is, is contrasting here the unrighteousness of man to the righteousness of God. He begins here to move from man's total depravity back in chapter 1 into his provision to redeem a people unto himself. Up until now, all fallen man is made to realize there is no hope at all in the law. He's hammered that point home from all the way back in verse 18 of chapter 1. None righteous. This is where justification by faith comes along. So we understand that the law cannot save us. The works of the law cannot save us. We can't keep the deeds of the law. We can't. Utterly hopeless. And Luther insisted that the justification by faith alone is the article upon which the church stands or falls. And if the church does not get it right, the church ceases to be an authentic church. If the church denies or obscures the doctrine of justification by faith alone, it is no longer a Christian body. And Calvin adds to this by saying, the doctrine of justification, justification by faith alone is the hinge by which everything else turns. So justification is the, the focal point of salvation. It's, it's what everything rides on. Hebrews eleven sixteen tells that it is impossible to please God apart from faith. So the, this righteousness apart from the law is the grace of God being revealed to us. It's... It's not based on obedience. It's, it's not based on anything that we can do whatsoever. If you have an NASB or maybe some other translation, it, the word law is capitalized. And the translators are making it a point to show us that nomos, the law, is, is God's divine revelation. It's of the utmost importance. It's, it's almost like capitalizing Lord. And if you look at the word uh, Word in, in John chapter 1, it's capitalized. It's, it's pointing to Christ, Christ being the, the Word, that made, the Word that was made flesh, the law. It's all, it's all intertwined. So they were pointing out the importance of this, but MacArthur pointed out that the, he was ultimately pointing out a legalism here that, that it was man's attempt at, at pleasing God by works. Remember verse 20, by no deeds of the law will flesh, any flesh be justified. God's righteousness is manifested in pointing to the life and death and resurrection of Christ alone. He alone, his sacrifice atones for sin and bestows God's righteousness upon believers. This is apart from the law, meaning without human effort. The law reminds us that we can't and points to the one that could and did, Christ. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, Verse 21, the law and prophets before the Old Testament, the law refers to the first five books, the prophets being the, the major and minor prophets, the wisdom literature, the law. And prophets proclaim the righteousness of God and also man's inability. It's always been about man's inability from Genesis to Revelation. The, the Jews had a great reverence for the scriptures, but, but many had failed to realize the, the, the scriptures themselves have no power to save. They're, if, in and of themselves, they're, they're nothing. If you look at John, chapter 5, go down to verse 38. 
but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom, whom he sent you do not believe. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you were not willing to come to me that you may have life. He's talking to the, the Jews there. They were zealous for, for learning and, 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 and just having this knowledge, this head knowledge. But none that saves. Remember when we were back in chapter 2, they, uh, it was the idea of the professional hearer. Right? They just learned to, to have knowledge, but not true, true knowledge of the saving faith of Christ. They never intended to, to show men how to achieve righteousness. It, never, it was never intended at all for, for the law to, to say you can do it. The, the law is just a, a, a mirror that says you can't do it. Christ, Christ alone is the one that provides this righteousness that God, that God demands. Mosaic law only points to the righteousness that we can't keep. Mosaic sacrifices were a, a portrait of what was to come in Christ, the final and ultimate sacrifice. All of it is Christ's righteousness. Continuing on in 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. When we say that that justification by faith or through faith, we kind of have to be careful. So to be justified by faith doesn't mean we're justified because we have faith. We're like just simply agreeing to, you know, everybody would say, well, I believe in God, you know, or I believe in Jesus. Well, what do you believe about him, right? So just agreeing with this, the facts that God exists or the, the facts that Christ you know, um, I, I was talking to a lady at Easter, and I said, do you understand um, the, the significance of this? She goes, well, I just know Jesus died for my sins. I said, well, <laughs> you're right, you know, so I'm hoping that he did, obviously. But, but faith that is, is, uh, is from God. It just just admitting to the facts of, of the things of the scriptures that like you believe that these things are true, the, the Jews would agree with that. And then you saw the Christ's response to them. I had a friend that he's an Armenian. He says that um, his faith comes from within him, and that and he, he, he actually said that his choice to believe in God actually brings God more glory. And I said, well. You're kind of robbing God of his glory because you're, you're saying that you had something to do with your salvation, this act of, of just believing. You're, you're saying that, that you're putting your rubber stamp on God's existence and his plan of salvation. And it's like, I don't think that's, a, that's accurate. So I tried to demonstrate to him. I was like, you know, um, I, I gave you a ride the other day, correct? He says, yes. And I said, uh, and, and you understood by me saying that I'm going to come pick you up at your house and take you to this place that that, that was going to happen. You had, you had this type of faith, right, Like that, that, that I was going to do what I said. He said, yes. I said, did that come from within you or by my reputation and your knowledge of me being the type of person that you would think is going to do what he says he's going to do would, would follow through with it? And he's like, no, it comes from me. And I was, I was like, I don't know how else to, 
to explain it to you. I tried to trap him, though. I was, I was like, you know, with the word confidence. When I used that word confidence, it was intentional. I wanted to trap him with the, you know, you, you know I was hoping he would say there's a difference between confidence and faith. And, and the, the word confidence comes from the Latin. It's confide. It means with faith. Uh, I had a guy that, that came into to work and was talking to a gentleman that works with me. And he said that uh, he's talking about faith. And Mike said something about confidence. He's like, no, you can't have confidence. Confidence nope not confidence you gotta have faith 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 and kept hammering home faith and he wouldn't shut up and finally i said look you're saying the same thing you know like confidence is confident it means faith so we have this confidence in christ this faith in christ it does not come from us at all ephesians 2 i feel like i have referenced ephesians 2 8 through 10 every sermon but it's good stuff and it really shows you that you had nothing to do with your salvation. It, to, to say otherwise is to, to rob God of his glory. It's a sin. So this verbal def- declaration doesn't, doesn't bring saving faith. Neither does believing the, the existence of God or the facts of the gospel. None of those result in, in saving faith. And then you got the the idea everyone loves a, a benevolent God and, and, a, and a Savior, that del, this deliverer from sin. And then when that word Lord comes in, it's, well, I kind of like being me. And I don't really like the idea of, you know, he paid for my sins, so I'm just going to keep on sinning. And, but I really like the idea of this Savior, this benevolent God. It's not so. So you're either this slave or, or, uh, of sin or, or you're a bondservant of Christ. And if you look at Romans 6, Paul says, but, but God be thanked that you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. This is, the, this is the justified. These are the ones who are justified in the sight of God. Slaves to righteousness. Willful obedience is the result. And that willful obedience still doesn't come from you. It comes from the righteousness of Christ and the Holy Spirit working in you. This is willing obedience. The, the, the heartfelt desire for the gospel of Christ is based on the truth of the gospel as only the Spirit of God can enlighten us to. And Joshua, and the, when we were, we had our memorial service, our dear brother Don, he, he went through Ephesians 2. And I was sitting over there, and I don't know how many times I've heard Ephesians 2 preached or, or quoted or expounded, and I was just sitting over there like a fanboy, like, yes, yes. I mean, how many times have we heard the gospel? And it never gets old. Yes, it's, It says to all and on all who believe, for there's no difference. The salvation and righteousness of Christ is available to all that believe. And the idea, he's just went through Jew and Gentile. There's no distinction. He's went over and over and hammered that point home. You look at Acts. Chapter 13.
says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Christ, in him, Christ is the forgiveness of sins, not the law. In John 6, 37, Jesus says, The one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Jew or Gentile, there's no, no distinction. The same way no one is good enough to be saved. No one can keep the law. No one can, can measure up. It's the same way that it's an impossibility. In that same way, no one is too evil. No one's too good. No one's too evil to be saved either. It's all faith. The faith that's given to you by God. Christ is the object of our hope. 1 Thessalonians 1.3 object of our knowledge, Philippians 3.8. He's the object of our faith, Mark 11.22. If you think of justification as a vehicle, the faith would be the, the engine that drives the vehicle, and motivates it, pushes it. This would be kind of a hard pill to swallow for both the Jew and the Greek. He's writing to the Romans, right? So they're all reading this, and, and both cultures kind of had that eye-for-an-eye attitude that the the Jews had it because of their background. The, the Greek would, if, if they found you guilty, it was just bad news. There was, no, there was no going back. I mean, they were harsh. Paul is, Paul is coming in saying, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You're all guilty. You're all done. Inexcusable. To fall short. And hustereo in the Greek means to fall behind. It's like a race. You, to fall back, you're, you're not keeping up, is the, is the idea of that word. And, and compared to God, every man, every single person is in last place. John MacArthur says, so we've all sinned is it's past tense, and fall short is present tense. It means we're continually falling short continual failure you can't fix it you can't catch up it's not going to happen we were behind we are behind we're always going to be behind compared to the glory of God we can never do enough it's all Christ so Paul's leveled the playing field starting all the way back in verse 18 of chapter 1 all have sinned all are without excuse all are Utterly hopeless. Can't save yourself. And the answer here is Christ. Again, Christ. Christ, the gospel. Being justified freely by his grace. No distinction. All, again. No distinction in salvation either. Why? Because of grace. Justified means to be to declared right. There's no... No more punishment coming your way made right in the sight of God and he says notice here Paul adds freely justified freely by his grace not just justified by grace grace is as we understand it is a free gift 
and, it, and it's if Paul's overemphasizing, like, freely, by his grace, freely, free and free. Freely by his grace. And justified by grace is a legal transaction. And God is making us right in his sight, justified in his sight by imputation. In 2 Corinthians, this is very familiar, 5.21. For he made him who knew no sin be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Christ became sin, that we may become righteous. Christ became sin for us. Christ knew no sin up until that point. Our sin was placed on his shoulders. We could never know righteousness. What righteousness is if he hadn't known sin? Taking the perfect wrath of the Father, then, then the process of sanctification begins. Then we become more like Christ slowly. And it's really slow. <laughs> Sometimes. Slower from some more than others. When we fall and we get back up, get dusted off. It says, keep going. We're being more, made more righteous, more like Christ continually. The Holy Spirit imparts these new desires in our hearts, as I said earlier, this new desire is to keep the law because we know that. The Holy Spirit is testifying to the truth of that's what is good and right and that's what pleases God, right? So our desires are the same desires that God has, the same desires of Christ. And the Holy Spirit imparts that to us. Christ is the, the righteousness of God on full display. And we being Christians, little Christs, that derogatory term that we just took on and ran with it, little Christ or, or a dim reflection of the of Christ, the, the goodness of Christ, although we don't do it quite perfectly or nowhere near perfectly, but when, when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ and he sees perfection and that's really all that matters. And this word redemption, apolutrosis, is a, a releasing effect, a payment, a ransom, a liberation from a slave master, you pay the slave master to, to liberate someone. Our, our sinfulness and our utter inability to measure up to the righteous standard, to measure up to the righteous standard of God. And only a sinless Savior could re redeem a sinful man. We were once slaves to sin, ransomed by Christ. And one thing that is kind of hard for me to wrap my head around is the the idea that the the payment was made to to God the Father, right? So, and you you kind of I think this is the idea of where um, where say people get that we're saved from Satan because they can't they can't reconcile this in their minds because well the payment had to be made to Satan because we were slaves to sin and you know he's whatever it's not true, but sin is not an entity or a being that any payment could be made to. Sin is just broken law of God. That's 
all it boils down to. So the wages of sin is death. We understand that. And if you, look, if you consider Hosea, it was funny because I'd, I'd called Josh when I got to this, this section, and I was a little distraught. Like, well, and I mean, I knew this stuff, and I'm just, like, trying to figure out how I, I can present it. You know, okay, so I called him. I'm like, we're, the payment's made. We're saved by God, by God, or from God, by God. And I was like, it's kind of an odd dynamic, right? He, he, there's, he's not the slave master. He doesn't, he's not, he's not the sin that we're slaves to. And I'd already been to, to Hosea, and then he said, well, think of Hosea. <laughs> so it's like, I already did. I went there, and I, I read that, so... I wanted to, to include it and, and share with you guys. So in Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, we have the betrothal. In 1, verse 3, we have the marriage. In uh, chapter 2, verse 2, we have adultery. Chapter 3, verse 1, we have adultery. And in chapter 3, 3 to 5, we have remarriage. Hosea purchased his adulterous wife out of the slave market and remarried her. Her sin led to her being in slavery. She was owned by someone else, rightfully theirs. Slaves to her own sin, a slave to her own sin, which resulted to being an actual slave. And Hosea goes and buys her back. Hosea 3.3, he says, And I said to her, You shall stay with me many days, and you shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man, so too I will be toward you. This is our relationship with, with Christ. We're the bride of Christ. You're, you're going to be faithful to me, Christ. I'm going to be faithful to you, even more faithful to you, because I'm Christ. And just as Gomer could not redeem herself, we could not redeem ourselves. It's all the work of Christ. You shall... You shall stay with me and not sin, and I will do the same, he says. She will be faithful, he will be faithful. We are the faithful bride. Verse 25 says, Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood, the sacrifice of, of Christ was a public display. Some of your translations might read, God displayed publicly. He set forth publicly his son, beaten, shamed publicly before he was nailed to the cross, mocked and spit on. As if that wasn't enough, the wrath of his father, the one he had perfect communion with from all of eternity, poured out his wrath on his son, the only sinless person to ever exist. Why? For you. Propitiation means to satisfy, satisfy the demands of justice, a debt, a debt that was owed. To satisfy God's wrath, biblically speaking. We are lawbreakers, and the scroll calls it breaking God's law is cosmic treason. Paul Washer said the scariest three words you can ever hear is God is holy. And the reason being is that you are not. We're all saved by grace. 
saved by God from God. This propitiation satisfies the wrath of God and his own justice on our behalf. God the Son took on the wrath of the Father. Christ our substitute. This word propitiation is listerion. It's interesting it was a word used to describe the mercy seat. This mercy seat in the Holy of Holies where the priest would go in once a year and sprinkle blood on it for not only his sins but the sins of the behalf of the the people. It's interesting. This was commanded and honored on this day of atonement, right? But it had no power to pay for the penalty of sin. It was foreshadowing. This was a foreshadowing of things to come, the, the blood of Christ. In Hebrews 10, down 11, says that every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. Size, <laughs> excuse me, I'll learn to talk one day. Same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Perfecting. He has perfected past tense, forever, as in continually, those who are being sanctified, those who are being made like Christ. One and true and only acceptable sacrifice was Christ. It says through faith, Paul reminded us again, the just shall live by faith. The just are justified on the side of God by the propitiation, the public propitiation this public sacrifice of Christ through faith, again, that engine that propels the car, this gift that was given to us. Now we get to the why. To demonstrate his righteousness. This modern Christianity is packaged to be attractive. We're we're selfish by nature, and we got this "what's in it for me" attitude. So when we we're looking for a church, you know, I had a guy asking me about our church. He's like, "What about the music?" You know, my wife really likes to get pumped up before the before the uh, preaching, and I said, "Well, we're we sing hymns, and they're theologically rich, and uh, I would, you know, that's that's it. I, I like hymns, and most everybody here likes hymns." And, I don't know, and that's that's the idea. You know, I want you to I want you to pump me up to, 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 before you tell me how great I am in the sermon, and uh, I can I can pat myself on back because I got Buddy Jesus on my side. You, know, you get to you get to have that best life sermon after the the uh, rock and roll music or whatever they want to do. That's that's what they do, and you have these ministries so you got like the the fishing ministry and you got the the baseball ministry and whatever hobby you can just attach the word ministry after it and it's really not a ministry it's just a group of people getting together with a common interest which is fishing or whatever and then then you sprinkle a little bit of christ on it and i don't i don't think there's anything wrong with getting together and fellowshipping 
And even if it's a ministry and you go out and minister to other fishermen or something like that, that's fine. That'd be a good thing. But I don't think that's the intent that they have. I had one guy that always bragged about how he was in the coffee ministry at his church. And he brought it up to me like almost every time I saw him. And, and he would always remind me that he doesn't even drink coffee. I'm like, cool. You know, I don't mean to brag, but I make coffee every Wednesday here. It's black. And I usually make it because Josh wants some and he's down there studying. So I guess I'm kind of a big deal too. They want to sell you that Christ is the, the answer for everything, this happiness. and like This Jesus is your buddy theology. A proper perspective is that Christ is the answer to your needs. What you need is justification. The chief need of any man is salvation. This is the only blessing from God. People talk about being blessed, right? You know, I've been blessed with this or that. Or they go, they go buy a new car and go into debt for $60,000 and say, look what the Lord blessed me with. I'm like, you got debt. <laughs> That's not really a blessing, you know, but I'm happy for you. But they, 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 we put this idea of blessings of, of God on material things all the time, you know. Like, the Lord's really blessing him. Look at, look at his nice house or his whatever, you name it. But... The only permanent value is salvation. That's the one blessing that matters. It, nothing, nothing else compares. It, it, it's not even remotely close to the blessing of salvation. And this salvation, here's the kicker. Although it's, it involves man, man is a, is a product of this salvation, it's not about man. It is not even close. The purpose of salvation is to glorify God. All things have been made, created through him and by him. For his glory, Psalm 115.1 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to thy name give glory because of thy loving kindness, because of thy truth. God alone is the one worthy of glory. His righteousness is on full display in dealing with son, his son and his sin that the son took upon him. The full measure of his wrath being poured out. His justice was served by him through Christ for us, for the glory of God alone. It's all for his glory. We're beneficiaries, if you will, of God's glory. We should seek to glorify him more. Verse 25. Last part of it, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. God's fully aware, and he's angry at the, the smallest of sins. His, his forbearance is a demonstration of his grace. He doesn't overlook sin. He's patient toward us, Second Peter 3, 9 tells us. No matter how much the Armenian tries to butcher that. God's justice and his grace work in conjunction to one another perfectly. So grace and justification are working simultaneously. And God, he would have been justified in destroying Adam and Eve because they'd sinned. Why didn't he? It was grace. Why did he 
demonstrate grace for his glory. And the grace that he demonstrated throughout all of history is for his glory. It all brings him glory. And this great sin requires a great savior. Christ is glorified in the sacrifice that he, he, he made on our behalf. It brings him glory. Not that he didn't have it before. It's just a continuation of his glory, this plan. But to what end? He says, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And then Paul understood that God's righteousness might be called into question. Well, well he's just going to overlook this and that. Does he not punish people as they deserve? Is he, is he let sin go? Is it judicial abandonment? Is he just washing his hands of it and walking away? Is it judgment postponed or down the road? God was just in punishing Christ and pouring out his wrath on him because he had taken on sin. He was just in doing so. It's just like the righteous judge that would send his own son to prison. He was just in doing what he did. And out of his great love is why he did it. And Christ, the one that took it, was the justifier. So he is both just and the justifier. He is the propitiation the payment sin is dealt with simultaneously as it's forgiven as it, it happens it's forgiven we confess it it's done and this perfect righteousness this perfect justice of God is demonstrated it's on full display to the glory of God alone you know, as I said earlier I don't ever get tired of hearing the gospel. If you just boil it down to those four words, Christ died for sinners, if you lay it out like we heard on Wednesday night, I don't get tired of it. It is the power of God into salvation. Let us keep that at the forefront of our thought. Let us bring glory and honor to Christ our Lord and God the Father. Let us pray. And merciful Father, we thank you once again for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and the propitiation of the sins. We thank you for your wrath, Lord, because apart from it, we couldn't be justified. Lord, I ask that you're blessed to hear here as we, as we go out. Let us bring glory and honor to you. For we are beneficiaries of that glory. We love you and we praise you. And all God's children said.